0: What is your go-to excuse? I'm sure you've got one or maybe two. At least I do. Remember the last time you were running late for work? Or that time you were speeding just a wee bit over the speed limit and you got pulled over? Or how about the time when you didn't finish your assignment on time for school? or when you had to bail on that commitment you made because you could no longer keep it. What did you say? My cat turned off the alarm. Sorry, the kids woke up late today, I just couldn't make it out the door. I ran into unexpected road construction. I had no idea the speed limit was only 35 in this neighborhood. The dog ate my first draft. What was your excuse? My band director in high school had this saying, excuses are like armpits. We all have them and they all stink. We've all got excuses. And we know when they are legitimate and when they just stink. Yet, I suspect that most of our excuses aren't quite as extravagant as the man who was arrested a few years ago in Fargo, North Dakota after a hit-and-run accident. You see, the man ran into another car and into a mailbox and then decided to drive on. Unfortunately for him, some witnesses saw this and got his license plate number. And when the police came to his door and asked him what had happened, The man had a creative excuse. He said, I lost control of my car because, wait for it, a tarantula was in my car and was biting me all over. Now the police officers could find no sign of a tarantula in his car and no indication of bite marks on his body. And so they went ahead and arrested him. Now that was some excuse and it stunk. Making excuses is no new thing when it comes to human behavior. Excuses are almost as old as time itself, really, especially when it comes to us trying to cover up for the wrongdoing that we've done. Our text from Ezekiel today begins with a proverb-like saying that the exiled people of Israel have been repeating, a sort of excuse for how they've ended up where they are. The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Throughout the book of Ezekiel so far, Ezekiel has been proclaiming the Lord's judgment on the people of Israel. He has declared how their covenantal unfaithfulness has meant and will mean them being driven out of their homeland, their homes and their cities being destroyed, and their living in exile. Through speech and action, Ezekiel has shared the message of the Lord. And these messages have often reminded the people of their unfaithfulness and how the Lord has been just in punishing them for it. So when chapter 18 begins with the Lord asking the people what exactly they mean by this excuse that they're saying to describe their current situation you have to imagine that the Lord's rebuttal will be strong. The people say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. The parents acted and the children are punished. Can't you just hear the people? They chose the sour grapes. Now our teeth are set on edge. We didn't cause this mess. It's just like the proverb says, The children get the penalty for the unfaithfulness of the parents, and it's not fair. And surely after hearing the depth of covenantal unfaithfulness that Ezekiel had been talking about all along so far, the people surely thought, this isn't all our fault. We haven't really been that bad. It is understandable how this proverb would be appealing as an option that resonates deeply both experientially and theologically with the people. It's always easier to to blame your current predicament on someone or something else. It's almost as if the natural tendency is for us to always see the speck in someone else's eye rather than the log in our own. And beyond that, The people know the teaching about when God gave God's name to the people in Exodus. You'll remember it too. Exodus 34 says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You can hear the people saying through this proverb, it's not our fault. God's ways are not fair. This punishment was inevitable. God was going to punish us regardless of what we did. This is simply how justice works. Why shouldn't the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? I wonder if you resonate with the people here. I wonder if you know anything about excuses when it comes to your life with God. Perhaps your excuses are even rooted in scripture or in your theological belief system. Maybe you've written off the possibility of having any part to play in faithfulness. Perhaps you've embraced such a strong understanding of God's sovereignty That there is no room for your willful participation in and faithfulness to God's ways. Maybe you've even come to believe that your particular favorite sin is of no concern because in the end what you do really doesn't even matter. Or maybe it's a different thing. Perhaps you get lost in despair or even in blaming God for your current situation And for it all being unfair because you believe God has some predetermined course on which you are really just along for the ride. These excuses and many more like them come so easily as we try to justify ourselves and explain our own struggles to be faithful. I know how easy theologically justified excuses are for me. I suspect they're easy for you too. Yet the Lord won't allow false theological narratives to be the final word among the people. The word of the Lord through Ezekiel comes as a corrective to the people of Israel's deterministic and fatalistic view of life with God. And it comes as a corrective to our own. Ezekiel makes it clear that the Lord will judge the people for their own actions. All lives are mine, God says. It is only the person who sins that shall die. A son will not be held responsible for the righteousness or for the evil of his father. And a mother won't be held responsible for that of her son. God sets the record straight. God is not capriciously acting out God's judgments. God is not and will not make people pay the penalty for the iniquities and wrongdoings of their parents. And even when the effects of someone else's sin impacts others, this cannot properly be said to be God's judgment on those people. God's correction to the people must have been at once both comforting and challenging for them to hear. On the one hand, Knowing that God is not arbitrarily judging the people offers hope in the midst of a pretty despairing situation. And understanding that they are not finally bound to the sinfulness of their ancestors is surely good news for the people to hear. Yet on the other hand, the Lord declared to the people that they were responsible. It was their own unfaithfulness and sin that had got them where they were. And the Lord had warned them of a more dramatic consequence still. Faithfulness or unfaithfulness is always life and death business. God tells the people what you do, how you follow God's command, your faithfulness, your righteousness. All these these things matter in in the present moment for the sake of the future. God expects faithfulness out of God's people in each new moment and in each new day. So the Lord dismantled their excuses and dismissed their preferred determinism. And now the people are facing God's righteous judgment for their wrongdoing. Thankfully, the story does not end there. If the story stopped there, it would simply be a gospel of personal responsibility and self-determination, which really is no gospel at all. There is not so much good news if the word stops with, you get what you deserve, you reap what you sow, try harder, do better. Even in a book as powerfully prophetic as Ezekiel, there is more to God's justice than judgment. Ezekiel says, God does not delight in the death of the wicked, or of anyone for that matter. Yet God cares deeply about faithfulness to God's ways because they are the ways that lead to life both for the individual and for the whole community. As our children say in godly play, God's ways are the best ways the best ways that lead to life. So God would rather that all people would turn from their evil ways and live, rather than continue on in them and be punished. Just as much as God will not hold someone responsible for another person's sins, God offers those who have failed to follow God's commands the opportunity to turn and live. Through Ezekiel, God reminds the people that the failures and sinfulness of a person's past do not determine their future faithfulness. This is a message of dramatic hope in the middle of a terrible situation, even when the consequences of people's sinfulness and unfaithfulness are on full display. Because of their constant unfaithfulness, the people have been sent to exile, but the future is not closed off. Death, that is being separated from the God who gives life, is not a foregone conclusion for the people in exile or for us. God's grace and mercy overflows in the hope of a new future as Ezekiel proclaims the word of the Lord. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, Otherwise, iniquity will be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed against me and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn then and live. Hope is alive in the opportunity for repentance. Hope is real as God gives the chance to turn from the iniquity that will lead to ruin. Hope abounds in the possibility of change inside and out, a new heart and a new spirit along with right actions. Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free. It's good news not to be bound by past failings. It's good news that God enables the people to turn and live. Ezekiel is clear that God expects people to turn from the ways that lead to death and to turn toward faithfulness to God's ways that leads to life. This faithfulness is demonstrated through concrete practices and through the fruit that one's life produces. In the gospel lesson from Luke 13, Jesus also speaks about the need for repentance, for turning from evil ways and for the expectation of producing righteous fruit. Jesus tells those following him, unless you repent, you will all perish. And then he tells a parable about a fig tree a man planted a fig tree in his vineyard. The tree failed to produce fruit year after year for three years. So the vineyard owner finally said to the gardener, cut this tree down. There's no reason for it to continue to waste the soil if it's not going to produce fruit. Yet the gardener asked the owner to wait so that the gardener could spend time digging around the fig tree, fertilizing it, and seeing if it will yet bear fruit. If it doesn't, the gardener said, then you can cut it down. The gardener believes that past failure does not have the final word. And the owner of the vineyard is willing to be patient. The expectation for bearing fruit remains. Yet grace abounds because of the gardener's intervention and work. In line with the word of the Lord in Ezekiel, Jesus calls those who follow him to repentance and to righteousness. Turn then and live. And like the gardener in the parable, Jesus intervenes when we who are the tree cannot produce the fruit on our own. Jesus doesn't remove the expectation of bearing fruit, but Jesus makes a way for the fruit to come. This is grace-filled responsibility. This is grace-enabled transformation. Without the grace of the gardener, not one of us could bear fruit. We'd already be cut down but because of the life and work of Jesus the gardener, we are enabled to turn and live. It's good news that we are not chained by some fatalistic future forged by our past failings. It's good news that God doesn't want us to remain bound by the things that lead to our death and destruction. It's good news that God has made a way through Jesus that we don't have to be trapped by the same sins or hurts or pains of our past. It's good news that God calls us and enables us to bear fruit of God's kingdom, fruit worthy of repentance. And finally, it's good news that because of the patience of God, Even when we don't bear fruit as quickly as we should, there is still hope that fruit will come. For all of us resident excuse makers, this is good news for us today. Enabled by God's grace, turn then and live. Amen.